Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So, when I got married, I knew everything that there was to know about women. And I knew everything that there was to know about being married. Oh yeah, kids, you can be dismissed to kids' church. That way. So essentially, I have not had to do any work at all as a husband from when I got married at 20. I'm now 47, so for 27 years, I have nailed it. No, that's right. You're laughing at me because you know that's not the truth. The, the truth is, when I got married at... 20 years old, I pretty much knew nothing about women. God gave me two daughters, so that kind of has helped me learn how much I really don't know about women. And I knew nothing about being married, although I read the books and I watched, you know, the video. Actually, they didn't have videos back then, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, did, I did what I needed to do to prepare, but nothing actually worked except for being married and figuring it out. And I can say that being married today after 27 years is a lot more fun than it was 27 years ago. Can anybody testify to that, right? Now, here's the, here's the truth, though, and you know this is true. There are only three kinds of marriages. Basically, there are three kinds of marriages. They're the ones that don't work. You get married, like, we ain't doing this, you're out. They're the ones that aren't really working, but you just kind of endure it, right? I mean, you live in the same house, you eat at the same table, maybe regularly, but, but you kind of just live your own separate lives and you pass through in the night. And then there are the ones that we all admire and aspire to be, and those are the ones where there's a connection, where you answer each other's sentences before they're even asked. It, they're the ones where you're like, I was literally just about to ask you that, and you said it. They're the ones where you just enjoy being together because... You've gone through all of the stuff that makes it now precious and worthwhile. Am I right? Basically three kinds of marriages. That's kind of a microcosm or a picture of the way our faith is. There are those who want nothing to do with God. They, they look at this idea of a relationship with God and they're like, yeah, forget, I don't need God. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy my life. I know a lot of people whose lives are completely centered around enjoying life. Now listen, Solomon tried that and at the end of the day, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, what he realized was it's all meaningless. It's all worthless. The only real thing worth uh, living for is a relationship with God. That's what he said. Now Solomon was the wisest and the richest man in all of the world. Although I question his wisdom because he had a whole lot of wives, which means a whole lot of mother-in-laws, which meant a whole lot of all kinds of other things that would just, uh, it's a joke. It's just a joke. It's a joke, people. I'm joking. But seriously, I mean, think about how complicated one marriage is. Imagine having a bunch of them. No, no thank you. I can't even, you know, it's hard enough for one. So he was the wisest man in the world. He had all the money in the world. There's, the Bible says that he, he de, de, um, deprived himself of nothing. He, if he wanted it, he bought it, he tried it, he experienced it. And at the end of the day, 
He said, look, when you're young, find the Lord and learn to obey him. That was his, that was his end of the day thing. So there are some people who want nothing to do with God. Their entire lives are built around pleasure and, and what this world has to offer. But at some point, the Bible says their life will be made. Uh, they will have to be accountable for their life. There's coming a day when they will stand before God and God will say, what have you done with my son? Now, there's another group of people. Who, there may be some of you in here who your, 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 your life uh, is good, but, but you put a little religion into it. And so God is part of the deal. But God is more of a means to an end. You, you, you do the church thing because you don't want to not do the church thing. I mean, we're, we're supposed to do it. You talk to God because every now and then you have a problem and you need God to fix it. Every now and then you need some wisdom. And so you say, hey, God, if you created this thing, make, you know, make it work. For so many people, and I think this is where a majority of professing believers actually live. Jesus is simply a means to an end. He is, he is a, a, a notch in the stick to a future goal. And our future goal even could sound good. Heaven. I don't want to feel lonely. I want joy. I want peace. I want patience. You know, the whole fruit of the Spirit thing. Or Jesus is a means to a better, better, better uh, uh, relationship with my family. And so Jesus becomes this, this thing that we do because we want some result from him. But I say that true gospel is not that Jesus is a means to an end. Jesus didn't come so that you could go to heaven. He didn't die so that you could have joy. Jesus didn't give his life so that you could have hope or peace. Those are all benefits of what he did. Jesus died to make you right with God. Being right with God is the source of the hope and the joy and the peace and the eternal life. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference between using Jesus to get something or someone or somewhere and using Jesus to find Jesus. And so my prayer for you today, this whole message, this whole passage is about God sanctifying you and me so that Jesus becomes the prize. And listen, when Jesus is the prize, the rest of the world gets a lot smaller. When Jesus is the prize, you have the ability to say, but even if he does not deliver, I will not bow. Remember last week we talked about sometimes God doesn't deliver us. Sometimes God doesn't swoop in and save the day and change the circumstances and fix everything and make a happy ending. Sometimes God does not deliver us through the, the fiercest trials of our life, but he does deliver us through them. One such story is the story of my friend Jennifer. Jennifer and I grew up around the corner from each other. I say grew up basically high school. Her now husband was my neighbor. Her, her husband, who was my neighbor at the time, and I used to ride to school together. We would, we would ride four-wheelers together. We were friends, and she was kind of in the mix a little bit later on. She put a post on Facebook this past week that, that, that brought back feelings that I hadn't thought of in quite a while. You see, Jennifer and Chad got married, and when they got married... 
they expected, like we all expect, for life to be pretty great. I mean, they were high school sweethearts. They, they uh, got married. They started having some kids. They had two little boys. They had a house. He had a great job. She was in, she was in a good place doing what she was doing. And things were just right. And in her post, she said, this time of year always brings about different feelings for me because it was this time, I think it was 14 years ago, that everything was fine in the evening. My husband was sitting on the chair. My son was in his lap and they were playing and talking and I think she might have been in the kitchen or in the back room or something doing something else. And all of a sudden, her son in, her, in his father's lap stopped breathing. Everything went from perfect, picture-perfect life to the world is in chaos. And as her story would, would go, she came out, began CPR on her young child. I think he might have been two or three at the time. They called 911. First responders came, paramedics, ambulance, rushed him to the ER. And it was in a little room in the ER, a room that I've been in as well. When the doctor, or, or the chaplain rather, comes in and says, I'm sorry, things are not looking good. And it wasn't but a day or two later that they had to face the fact that their son had died. He had some type of congenital birth issue, I think, with his heart that they did not know about. And it showed itself in that moment in the father's lap. And I, and I tell you that to say... Her life that was picture perfect to everybody, including to them, suddenly became a nasty mess, a horror, a nightmare. Thus began all of the questions, God, where were you? And you see, the, the, the feelings that it brought back to me is that I, me knowing them and me, me being there, because we lived around the corner from their house when this happened, me knowing the, the, the family and, and going to the funeral, and I, and I remember the smells and the sights and the sounds, and I remember the desperation. I remember thinking, that could have been my daughter, could have been my son. And things became very real. You, have you had that happen to you? And in this tragedy... When God did not deliver from, 14 years later, here was her post. She said, I have decided that I'm no longer going to be looking back to what I lost. From this moment on, I'm going to be looking forward to what I gain. From this moment forward, I'm looking towards when I will see my son again. And I use every single ounce of pain to the glory of God. I will talk about it and I will share and I will cry and I will use the pain that I've experienced to demonstrate the goodness of God. Because of all of the minor, not minor, but all of the even little details that God brought about. You're going to hear this story. I, I actually was talking on the phone with her yesterday about how we can make this into a of a video story that we can share. I want to tell you, it's, it's amazing. I'm not sure how much I'm at liberty to share, so I'll just stop it at that. But suffice it to say, doctors, nurses, first responders, more people than you can imagine have been affected through this tragedy. But the question is this. Her faith went from Jesus is good 
to I know the goodness of God because I've seen it in the midst of the worst days of my life. Jesus, I think it would be fair to say, I think she would say this, he was a means to an end, but now he is the end. He is the goal. He is the prize. Because she has nothing else to hold on to except for the promises of God that have been displayed in her life in so many miraculous ways. I'll I'll just tell you one. Just just one little snippet. Exactly 10 years to the day that she was in the emergency room with her son. She had some sort of a physical issue that she had to go to the emergency room. Exactly 10 years to the day. She went to the emergency room on that day. When the doctor walked in. Both of them. We're taken aback. It was the same doctor that treated her son when he came in 10 years prior. But for 10 years, he took that weekend off because of the pain of the loss of this little boy. It moved him so much. It, it wrecked him so much. He couldn't even go to work that weekend for 10 years. And his wife told him that day, honey, you have to go to work today. She basically made him go to work. When he got to work, his patient was the mother. See, he held himself responsible. We do that sometimes. We, we, we feel like... He didn't do anything wrong, but we feel like we should have or could have done more. And yet, God brought the two of them together so that Jennifer could say to him, we don't hold you responsible. There's nothing that we need to forgive because you did all that you could do. He was able to find release from all of that that he was carrying for 10 years. Is that not a wow? Isn't God good? Here's the thing. Here, here's, the, here's the principle. God is at work in you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I've been, I've been rotating in my heart and, and meditating on, on this constantly. It seems like for the last couple of weeks, every night when I read this, this, I read this verse and I'm like, that's all I can read. Because it's this, it's this idea or it's this truth rather that God is at work inside of us even in spite of our, our idealistic thinking sometimes. Even in spite of the fact that we might be using God as a means to an end, he's still working in us so that we will realize that he is the prize. Even when we think that we have rejected God in every possible way, he still even pursues us and works in us to draw us to himself. And why he does that? Simply because he loves us more than we could imagine and explain. So in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, this is what the scripture says. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. What Paul is speaking of here to the Philippian church is the process of sanctification. What does it mean for Jesus to be the prize? 
What, what good purpose is God working out in you? And what is your responsibility in this whole process as well? Sanctification means that you become more like Jesus. Now just to, to, to bring us all up to speed on this. So when we were created, we were created in the image of God. The fingerprint of God is on our life. He designed us so that we would display the fruit of the Spirit. So the, the, the plan for God in our life is that we would be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get them all? I think so. I, I feel like I missed one, but I think I got them all. So that, that's what we're to look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that is what we're to look like because that's what God looks like. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, it means that God is, 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 is doing this inside of us. So we were created to look like him in those ways, but this thing called sin has marred the image. And so because we're human and because we have a sinful nature, we want to do the things that go against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So because of that, there's this war going on. And when we are in ourselves, when we are, are, are without Christ... All of those things that are against Christ are creating death in us, okay? And so we're living to die because death is at work because sin has broken the image of God. But see, that's where salvation comes in. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith. So in other words, even though we're marred and even though we're broken, even though sin is at work in us and we are, we are moving towards death, there's a moment in time where we respond to the gospel, to the, to the good news. That's what gospel is. The Greek word is euangelion. It's the good news. And notice the word angel in there as well, right? So the gospel is the good news that we don't have to die. And so God, when we respond to his offer of the gospel, which is forgiveness, which is being made right in a relationship with God, which means taking, exchanging the broken image of God for a perfected image of God, when we make that transaction, God moves us into his camp or into his family. We become a child of God. And when we become a child of God, we come over not perfect in the way we looked, but perfect in who we are. Let me say it differently. We become the righteousness of God, which means we're totally forgiven, totally free, chains have been broken. And yet we come over though with the old clothes. Let's say it differently. If you're in jail, you have jailers, jail clothes on, right? When you, when you leave jail, you're, still, you're, you're free, but you still have the old clothes on. That's kind of a picture of what we're talking about. Sanctification is the process of exchanging the old jailer clothes for the new holy clothes that God intends for us to wear. Does this make sense? I feel like maybe I made it a little more difficult than it should have been. But that, that's what happens. So the question is... If we're born again, if we're saved from sin, if we're now a child of God, how do we look like 
the nature that God called us to look like. How do we become sanctified? How do we become holy? How do we become more? How do we restore the image of God that he made us to be? Again, all of those things. The way we do it is both by what we do and what God does. See, back, there's always been an issue of how much of sanctification is your job and how much sanctification is God's job. They actually use terms that are called quietism and pietism. Quietism means it's all God's work. God does everything. You just have to sit there and let him do it. Pietism means it's all my work. I got to do this and I got to do that. That actually leads towards legalism. We all have seen that, right? Quietism actually leads towards being lazy and taking the grace of God for granted. It's not an either or, it's a both and, and that's what the scripture says here in verse 12. He says, therefore, dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That is an activity. That is not passive. That is not a means to an end. That is a, an, intention, an intentional, I am going to pursue the words of Christ so that they can dwell in me and so that I can be conformed by his words. The easiest thing for you and for me to do is to become lazy in our faith. It's so easy just to be passive. It's so easy to come to church, listen to a sermon, you know, rate it. Yeah, that was good. Uh, not so good today. Oh, he nailed it. Oh, he just totally, totally bombed today. And then we can go out. It's like, okay, next week I'll come back and I'll get my other fill. We treat it like a gas station. We never get gas until we see an E, right? Maybe y'all don't do that. But I like to test my faith. I like to, I like to stretch it out. I actually posted a picture the other day. I had like 0.19 of a gallon left in my tank because I know how much my tank will hold. Now that's stretching it out, people. I'm telling you, I was coasting into Bucky's. Okay, there's the truth. I didn't, I wanted to stop at Bucky's. That's the truth. I passed all these gas stations. Man, I'm sweating it going, just get me to Bucky's. Just get me to Bucky's. The, the, the fact is, you know, um, why in the world did I tell you that? I have no idea. Man, I started thinking about Bucky's and I'm like, wow. Yeah, stretching your faith. That's not even it, but that's, that was a good, that was the, you were listening to something I said. Oh, gone. Oh, man, just talk amongst yourself. I'll figure it out here in a minute. So anyways. Huh? It's, that doesn't ring a bell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. So, you know, we, we come and, and, and here's the thing. No, I'm just saying, I want to try to say this without offending you, but I hear so many, I used to hear, I don't hear it anymore, but, but people are like, you know, we're just, we're going to find another place because we just don't feel like we're being fed. Huh. Not being fed, huh? Well, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you know, I just don't. What it really means is it's not entertaining enough, mostly. I mean, so, sometimes preachers just aren't preaching the word. That, that's true. But, but if a preacher's preaching the word of God, to say you're not being fed really means you're not being entertained or, or it's not catching your attention enough. 
You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that the worst person on stage when they're speaking the deep truths of God and my heart is ready to hear the deep truths of God, it's good. What I hear is largely determined based on what I want to hear. So for someone to come to church and expect that, hey, that's going to be what gets them through the week. Listen, I'm not good enough to get you through the week. Not only that, it's not my job to get you through the week. Not only that, my job is far greater than that. And my job is to get you to the next verse. My job is to create a hunger inside of you so that you say, I want more. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some really boring preachers out there, and I hope I don't fall into that category. But, but you know, in seminary, they say, look, if you're going to serve the meal, at least serve it hot, right? I mean, at least give them something worth listening to. The meal is good itself, but don't serve it cold. But listen, my goal is that you would have a hunger inside of your heart that when you leave, you would say, I want more. I want more because Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the goal. So when Paul says to the Philippian church um, that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, what he's saying is you have a part in your own sanctification. And the part that you have is work. It's work. But here's what I found out about work. Work that you have the right mindset with and work that you actually don't despise is actually rather enjoyable and even satisfying, right? It's still work, but it's work that you do with because it's a pleasure because you know that the end goal will result in something worth having. So... That's your part, is to work out. But here's the cool part. While you are working out your salvation, verse 13 says, for it is God who is working in you. So you're over here working, 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 and yet God is working, working, working already. It's much like yesterday. Joshua needed to put a hitch on his truck. He bought a 1996 green Chevrolet 1500 Silverado. And he's pimping it out, baby. I'm telling you what, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be a ride. You know, big old giant mud tires. He's a Gulf Breeze redneck. Oh, you just wait. The plans that are in his head for this truck, you just wait. Isn't that right? But he needed a trailer hitch put on it. Now, I have a vested interest in this trailer hitch because he's pulling my boat and he's on my insurance. So I need to know that this trailer hitch is going to work. But here's my philosophy on this green truck. I could easily do all the work myself. I could push them out of the way. I get under there. I mean, I'm not Bob the, Bob the Builder, but I, I have done a few things. And so I could fix it, but... but Yes, you can. Thank you. That's my wife. But you know what my goal is? My goal is that he would experience the pleasure of learning how to build his truck. My goal is to keep him alive and teach him. But the way I'm teaching him is not by telling him every step. The way I'm teaching him is keeping him in the rails. So yesterday, I, I loved it. I sat on the porch on my, on my uh, 
porch chair. I crossed my legs and I drank a cup of coffee. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. Yep. Hmm, maybe. And, and he was like, Dad, you're giving instructions that make no sense. <laughs> so I get up and I go, but, but, you know, the whole process is what God does with us. I'm not about to fix his truck. It's his truck. And guess what? If I fix the truck, it doesn't mean nearly as much to him. Because when you do something that you've put blood, sweat, and tears into it, you have ownership. There's value, and there's satisfaction, and there's appreciation to it, right? But at the same time, YouTube is not enough to keep you alive sometimes. And so he needs somebody to just guide. And besides, I'm actually really just taking note of where my tools are, are going. <laughs> I told you the other day, I was looking for my, my tape measure literally all day long. I probably said a dozen times, where's my tape measure? It should be right here. Josh gets home. Oh, it's in the back of my truck. <laughs> the truth is, the value of the work along with the, the guidance as little as it might. And, and listen, here's what you need to know. I'm a human, and this is what I do. Think of how good God is at this. I don't answer every question. I don't jump up and fix it right away. In fact, when I know the answer, I will oftentimes remain silent and watch him struggle. And I don't get joy out of the struggle. I do get joy out of knowing that there's going to be that aha moment. Because you know what? Sanctification requires struggle. God is at work in you. Sometimes he's sitting on the porch drinking coffee going, nope, nope, yep. And sometimes he's right there underneath it with you, drilling holes and, and moving bolts. But regardless, God is at work. And if you will trust him, he will not leave you alone. And he will not, I was going to say, he will not leave you hanging because God doesn't do that. So let's, get, let's finish this text, okay? So for it is God who is working in, both, in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. This is the part that got me. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, the video did not hear the music. And so now the video is just going to have me dancing like an idiot. Hey, Kevin, can you cut that part out? That would be helpful. Think before you act. Think before you act. <laughs> For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work. So here's what the Bible's saying. God is at work inside of you. And you are working out your salvation based on what he's doing inside of you. But what he's doing inside of you is creating the will or the desire inside of you. And he's, he, he's giving the fuel to the work that you're doing. So all of the work out that you're doing, God is actually in the, back, uh, in the background or behind the scenes making sure that that happens. To me, that is mind-blowing. When you want the things of God, it's not because you want the things of God. It's because God is placed in you to want the things of God. And the way he places in you to want the things of God is for you to be obedient with what you already know. 
Because obedient begets obedience. Disobedience begets disobedience. And this is the entire key to sanctification. In order for sanctification to take hold in your life and for you to be different today, more so than you were 10 years ago, there had to be a trail of obedience to where every time God speaks, you say, yes, Lord, that's what I'll do. I heard a testimony of a young lady just on, uh, on Wednesday. She actually wrote a, a card last Sunday. She turned it in. And when we read those cards, we, we pray with them and we celebrate with them. But I wanted to, 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 to tell her Wednesday when I saw her, I said, listen, your, your, your card was pretty dang amazing. Tell me what happened. Here's what she said. She said, I have gotten to the place where I finally can forgive my mother for the things that she has and has not done. And I'm free. There is, a, there is a joy that was not there because the, the bitterness and the anger and the, the holding on to that hurt was stealing the freedom of the joy to be found. And she said, I just decided to forgive her. And it's like a thousand pounds lifted off of the shoulder. She said, you can tell them who I am. And I said, no, I'm going to let you tell them who you are. You tell your story when you want to tell your story. But it's a pretty amazing story. Wouldn't you agree? This girl's in the room today. Huh? She's free. Why? Now, listen. God has been working in her to forgive her mother for years. Her family, her friends, her church family... The scripture has all been pointing towards this. But it wasn't until just this past week that she was willing to say, you know what? Okay, finally, I'll give in. That's not a condemnation. That's basically a picture of the way we do it, isn't it? God shows us what he wants to show, show us. And then he keeps hammering it little by little by little by little. And finally, we're like, okay, fine. I'll let it go. Whoa, I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. God gives us the will or the desire, and He also is working in us to do the work. But obedience is the key. You are being sanctified. The measure of sanctification you will see is directly proportional to how much work you are willing to do. Because it is a combination of God giving you the, the, the courage and God giving you the, the ability to do the work and it's you responding in obedience to what He says. The way you know what to do, this is key, the way you know what to do in obedience is to know what he says, and the way you know what he says is all found right here. Make no mistake, it is not by accident that we have everything in the world to take our attention away from a relationship with God. That's not by accident. And here's the deal, it's good stuff. It's not sinful stuff usually. It's, it's usually good stuff. 
sports, um, work, entertainment, family. But you know what you call anything that you place ahead of the, the head position in our life? Uh, you know what we, place, what we call anything that, that, be, that gets the, the central position in our hearts besides Jesus? It's an idol. You can choose to be offended at that. Or you can choose to face it and ask the hard question, is there any idolatry in your life? The question I have to ask. What do I love more than Jesus? What do I want more than Jesus? And God is a God who will allow you to pursue whatever idol you pursue. And He'll oftentimes chase you from behind. But just know this. You will never find the satisfaction through that idol. You will never find the hope through that idol. You will never find the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. You'll never find that stuff in that idol. Even when the idol is a good thing, your family will never give you those things in place of Jesus. Never will. I love the way we sanctify things, don't we? So that we can justify things. I don't want to meddle or anything, but we even use churches as that. We justify all kinds of stuff, and God says, listen, do you really want to know truth, or do you just want to go on believing what you want to believe? If we say, Lord, I really want to know truth, we open the Word and we start verse by verse. Okay, what does this verse mean, and what am I supposed to do about it? Here's my challenge to you. I don't think challenge is the right word. Here's my uh, encouragement to you. Begin to read the Bible verse by verse and simply ask that question. Okay, Lord, what does this mean and what do I do about it? Philippians chapter 2, you can start. Ready? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation in love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That alone ought to keep us busy for the next year, don't you think? But how much turmoil in your life is fixed if you got that part right? A couple of statements and I'm done. Number one, it occurred to me this morning actually when I was uh, getting dressed that when we are young, we spend a lot of our time finding, trying to find our worth and our value in the approval of other people. We spend a whole lot of time gaining approval from other people because if other people accept us, then we must have value and we must have worth. Very few young people know that their worth is something is in someone who is eternal, not in things that are temporary. That's why we look in the mirror so much when we're young. That's why we care about how much, uh, uh, what kind of social media presence we have. That's what, because we need that attention because that's where our value comes from. Let me tell you, I've been there, I understand, and it is a difficult place to live. Amen? Quite frankly, a lot of adults are still in that place. They are wrestling and struggling because they haven't figured out that 
their own flesh is, they haven't become comfortable in their own skin. I distinctly remember that transformation in my life, and it was life-changing. That's all I need to say about that. But once we understand that we don't need other people's approval, then we start to really examine the things that are important. And here's what we figure out is important. Relationships. We can spend our life building whatever we want, but I would suggest, because I think the Bible says that what we should spend our life on is building relationships. First off, our relationship with God the Father who created us, and second off, the relationships of people. I would suggest that you start with family, and from family, go on out from there. But relationships are more important than anything and everything else in your life. Would you agree? Nobody dies and is thankful for all the stuff they had. People die and they're thankful for the friends that they had. So that's the second thing. Figure out that spending your life on relationships is the way to spend your life. First with God, then with others. And the third thing is this. Realize... That everything you need in life is found in the Word of God. I believe that. Every single word, or every word is a word that gives life. If you want life, this is where you have to go. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? As we close today, I want to invite you to examine your own heart. I want to invite you to trust Jesus Christ with all of your heart. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Him, will you do that? Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from you. I know that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. I believe that. And I trust the work that you've done on the cross. I trust that you have paid for my sin so that I could be made right with God. I turn to you and I trust you. That's called repentance. You've admitted your condition and you've cried out to God for help. (laughs) Today, if you are in that middle area that I talked about earlier, God is just a part of your life. He's not the center of your life. He's a means to an end. I want to invite you to make in the center and begin this journey, this intentional journey of sanctification. God is already at work. He just wants you to join him in it. Your starting point today, if that's you, is this. What has God already said that you have told him no on? Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's repenting of something. Maybe it's a step in a certain direction. Whatever it is, you cannot disobey God and expect that He's going to continue to bless you. Because obedience is a demonstration of love. Father in heaven, I do pray that in this moment you would would move us to action. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the people sitting here today. God, we are each fearfully and wonderfully made. 
You work all things. Lord, all of these songs we sang today, they speak to this. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Lord, I pray that today would be a line in the sand kind of a day for so many of us that we would passionately pursue you. In Jesus' name. Will you stand? Kevin's going to lead us in a last song. And as you stand, I want to ask you to do this. Right where you are, deal with God. Do what he says to do. He's a good, good father. If you're here today and you've not ever trusted Christ and you said that prayer just a little bit ago, just a few moments ago, I want to invite you to tell me. Let me know. You can do it on the card or you can come and tell me. Maybe there's something else going on you need some prayer about. We're going to be here. You respond as God would lead you. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.